When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, fracking. It may have secured American energy independence, but at what cost? People who are either in the industry who become sick from the fracking water because of their exposure to it, or somebody in the community, even if they go to the doctor and the doctor draws blood and the doctor can identify certain chemical makeups in there, they're not allowed to tell the patient because of the, the patent that's held on the chemical makeup of the water. Hey there, August is fast approaching, and that means I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Former law enforcement official and veteran of the Gulf War turned independent investigator and environmentalist, Ed Hashbarger is here to discuss his concerns about the shale oil and gas production via hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Fracking is a technique to blast a mixture of water, chemicals, and sand into a well to break apart the rock formations and release previously inaccessible oil and natural gas deposits. Most fracking today is done in conjunction with horizontal drilling. Ed is a longtime resident of Jefferson County, Pennsylvania. Ed, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Not bad, Richard. Uh, doing well here. How about yourself? Terrific. Thank you, all things considered. Before we get into fracking, let me ask you a little bit about your background, because it's interesting. You had a career in the military and also as a police detective. Just tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Um, I served in the United States Marine Corps back in the 1980s. Um, after, I got out of the, after I got out of the military due to some injuries, I got into police work. Um, from that point on, I, I served uh, our local community and the state. Um, in law enforcement, I uh, spent some time as a police detective 
in the drug unit, spent several years doing undercover work as a drug detective. A um, few years into my law enforcement career, I, well, actually towards the later part of my uh, law enforcement career, I was injured. Um, due to my injuries, I had to retire. Uh, when I retired from, from law enforcement, I kind of moved into the country and settled down in the country living on a small farm. Uh, there, I took my skills and training and started looking into various topics. And one of them was hydraulic fracturing because it was coming into our area. I was an individual who was looking to uh, monopolize, I guess, on the oil and gas situation with them coming in, with, uh, you know, they were leasing up land and everything. And when I looked into it a little bit further, um, it opened up my eyes. Uh, you know, I, I, my whole life I've been a conservative Republican. I always believed in country first. Um, but uh, when oil and gas came into the area, it wasn't that, uh, uh, it wasn't cut out to what they were said that they were going to do. They, they came into an area, uh, especially in low income areas and kind of, buffaloed people into stealing their mineral rights from underneath them uh, by uh, giving them low um, uh, offerings, you know, $100 an acre, $200 an acre, and they kind of cleaned up around here. And then when people finally caught on, the ones that did hang out, they, they got substantially a, a substantial amount for their leases. We're talking five to $8,000 an acre, which is a big jump from just that 100 the $200 that they were initially offering. And they end up getting to a point where they end up kind of taking people's minerals, and that's where I had to hang up. So as I started to look into oil and gas itself, uh, it kind of just blew my mind. It, it really blew my mind away on what is involved in fracking under the earth and what happens during that process and what they're not telling the people. All right, so and, let's, uh, let's talk about yeah, hydraulic yeah. fracturing and uh, just give us the, I think you've described it as the uh, the, the fracking for dummies version, <laughs> which is just, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously we're, that's not a pejorative thing. We're just saying it's a very, a very simple way of understanding it, which is important to do. Yes, uh, I'll, I'll keep it simple because I, that's how I like to learn, simple. Um, Pretty much hydraulic fracturing for dummies uh, or, or people in general. I, I, I guess I don't want to say dummies, but people in general. What it does is in the process of fracking, they, they drill down into the earth. And, and they usually go anywhere from a mile to two miles deep. They can go deeper in some circumstances. And then they end up going horizontally and they go across. And they may go out one to two miles across. And what happens in that process is they drill that hole down they're down into the shell rock, and that's where all the gases are. And we're talking about various type of gases. You know, for, to cover it, it's all natural gas, but these gases are methanes and propanes and butane and pentane. And there's other elements down in there that they're after, which is hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide, helium and nitrogen. So there's a whole variety of stuff they're after, but it's locked up in that rock. So what they do is during this process, what they do is they, they take fresh water, okay, and this is the key point here. This is one of the topics I want to talk about is fresh water. They can't use salt water. They can't use waste water. They have to use fresh water that they get from our creeks, our streams, or from our local municipalities. They take that water, and they mix it with a, few, a whole bunch of chemicals. Well over a 1,000 different chemical combinations are mixed into the water. Then they add silica sand into this mixture. And then as they drill down in and as they eject this water, they ignite these little explosions down there, which fracture the rock. And all this water gets shoved up in there with, with a little bit of sand, and it holds these small, believe it or not, that silica sand holds those small fractures open long enough for that water to get up in, and then they bring that water all back up along with all the gases that they extract. And any oils that might be down in there, that all gets brought up and it comes back up to the surface. And that's hydraulic fracturing pretty much in a, in a nutshell. Once they open these up, they're able to extract all that gases. Um, the flow back, which is the water, which is called flow back in this process, all that water, and I want people to hear this and hear this good. 
to fracture one hole on a drill pad. Now, a drill pad can hold two holes. It can hold up to 20 holes, depending on how many holes you're planning on putting on that pad. And those holes go out in different directions. So just think of it as spokes on a bicycle in various directions. Each hole, each hole, they use anywhere between 2 to 10 million gallons of water to fracture each hole. That water that they use for fracturing that hole is no longer valued or it's no longer um, able to support life. That, that water is no longer able to be put back into the cycle of life because of the chemicals that they put into it, the silica sand that's in it, and then there's something else that comes back up with that, that water. And that, it's called radium-228, 226, and 224, radiation. And this radiation is deep in the earth. Now, we know it as radon gas in many cases because we have, you know, up north, uh, if you have basements, a lot of people have problems with radon gas that gets into their home at a certain level. It can cause health issues, cancer, lung cancer, breathing issues, things like that. And in many cases, it can kill, kill people. But I, I, going back to the water deal, a lot of people don't realize that on, in this, on this earth, we only have so much fresh water available. And with all of our science that we have right now, they can only clean up so much water. Um, and it can only be cleaned to a certain point. The problem is, and the industry will tell you this if they're honest with you. And when I looked into this and did my research, uh, and you got to dig deep, they even admit in some cases that this water that they use in the fracking process is no longer viable for the cycle of life. It can never be used again. In other words, it cannot be spread out on a field somewhere. It cannot be drank. It cannot be bathed in. This water is shot. It's done. So now what they have to do is they have to take this water and get rid of it somehow. And at the beginning of fracking, what they used to do with that water is just dump it in a field somewhere. Or if somebody was careless, they'd let it leach back into a creek or stream to try to get rid of it. But now what they do is they, they take that water and they put it into deep injection wells that go deep into the earth. And when they inject that stuff back into the earth, it causes problems at, that, at those locations. And in the Youngstown area here in Ohio, they had earthquakes that were caused by these injection wells, and they had to shut them down. I don't know, uh, Richard, if you remember that a few years ago when in the Youngstown area they had earthquakes, and eventually the governor had to shut down those injection wells because they were causing earthquakes. Right. Well, I've heard about earthquakes in, in Oklahoma that some have attributed to the uh, fracking. I wasn't familiar right. with Ohio. Let me uh, let me just ask you, just pick up on a couple of points. First of all, regarding the water, and I don't know a lot about fracking, so I'm not here to defend fracking, but uh, I'm just going to, I guess, offer up the counterpoints that probably, you know, someone in the industry might offer up, and then you can disavow us of this. But uh, so, for example, um, the the amount of water being used in fracking uh, what I've read is that it's comparable to the amount of water that's used to produce other sources of energy, such as coal and nuclear. Um, so, for example, um, we're looking at about 0. 0, uh, 0. 0.02%, 0. 0.02% of the country's total water usage for fracking. And, and, and that's false. You know, the, the thing is, is in the coal industry, yes, they do use water in the coal industry. Yes, they do it. And they use water in the nuclear industry. Um, in many cases, with the, the water that's being used in, in nuclear, it's, it's water that they continually, they, they, they will continue to use. Uh, even in the coal industry, a lot of the water that's used in, in, in mining in the coal industry is to keep down a lot of the, the, the um, uh, coal dust. Um, in some cases, it is used to spray into the rock to, to loosen up the coal, but they don't use nowhere near the amount that oil and gas uses. And in some cases, like in the coal industry, in the coal situation, some of that water can be recycled depending on its, its, 
its contamination level with radon, uh, 228, 224, and 226. But with oil and gas, it's a completely different situation because they're ladening that water down beforehand with chemicals. And we're talking the chemicals that they're using in this, even when even we've had scientists uh, try to evaluate the chemical cocktail that's used in fracking, and since it is patented, they're not allowed to uh, obtain from the industry the, 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 the chemical combinations and the amount of chemicals that they're using. Even when people become sick from the actual water itself, people who are either in the industry who, who, who become sick from the fracking water because of their exposure to it, or somebody in the community, once they become sick, even if they go to the doctor and the doctor draws blood and the doctor can identify certain chemical makeups in there, they're not allowed to tell the patient because of the, um, because of the patent that's held on the chemical makeup of the water. So for the people out there that's in the industry and, and they're trying to say it's no different than, than um, nuclear or, or coal, it's a bold-faced lie. This is the only industry here where they're actually adding chemicals, adding silica, and putting it deep in the earth. And then it's coming up, and it's laid not just with that, but with radium-228 and 226. You can't just remove radiation out of things. It takes a process. And I'm going to give an example. Like radium-226, it's got a half-life of 1,600 years, 1,600 years. That comes back up laden inside the water in, it, in the slew that comes back up. Radium-228, it's got a half-life of 5.75 years. And then uh, radium-224, it's got the shortest of 3.66 days. Exposures to high levels of this stuff can result in increased incidence of bone and liver and breast cancer. And these are the things you're not telling people. So when they take this water and put it in retaining ponds that are in communities, behind, I, I've even seen them where it was literally I could go stand in a person's yard, look through their fence, and actually take a rock and just toss it. I'm not talking have to fling the rock, but just toss it, and it can land in the reservoirs that they have where that water, let they put that flow back into. Now, anything with radiation, if anybody knows anything with radiation, it emits. You have to be within so many feet or so many yards. If you're within that perimeter of that, you could become sick from that. They won't come out and tell you the distance on all of these when they're, when they're keeping them in behind people's homes or they're keeping them locked up in these containers within communities. I've seen them locked in these storage containers, sealed containers, in behind daycare centers in our community. Hmm. Um, and with radiation, it's just like any other type of radiation. You have to have certain shields or barriers to keep that stuff from, you know, keep you from being exposed to it. That's like when you go and get x-rays in a doctor's office and the, uh, the, the, uh, the technician there puts on a leaded gown when they go in there with you because they have to limit the amount of exposure they get from the radiation. I have not seen anywhere in any of these shipping containers that they put this stuff in that they got lead lining or anything that's, that's protecting people from the radiation that could be radiating out of these containers. Okay, let me just pick up so, on uh, one other point, and that is the, the water, which is so contaminated as you detailed, that it can't be, it can't be reused. It can't be used for irrigation. It's it's done. But again, uh, here's the the counterpoint. I'll get you to respond to, and that is uh, that you know new technology coming along, new recycling methods. We're now hearing from the industry that between seventy and one hundred percent of that water can be recycled and used again in their wells. Okay. It could be recycled. Okay, that's the key thing here. And see, this is why people, when you investigate a topic, you have to, you have to look at their wording, wording that they're using when they're, when they're using their words. It could be recycled for their use in their wells, not cycle of life, but cycle for their use. And are they recycling all of this? I have not yet seen, and I'm not saying that there isn't out there, but I have not yet seen a place where they've recycled the water. I see them running these, this water to these injection wells that are, are scattered all over our area here, 
They're running in big tankers to those locations to dispose of that. But in many cases now, now to step back for, for a moment, in some cases I have seen where they have pumped the flow back up, used some filtering to take out some of the heavy stuff that's in that. It goes into a pond, and then they reuse that back into the well that they're fracking or maybe another well that they're fracking on that pad. I've seen them do that. But, again, you have to watch their wording. When they say that you know, they, they recycle water for their use, not to be put back into the environment in any way, shape, or form. Look, the, the Navy itself is probably one of the master, um, um, how do you want to say this, they're the, probably the masters when it comes to filtering water because they filter water for all their ships when they're out in the ocean. So there, there's a lot of things we know that are in ocean water that needs to be filtered out, and they do a pretty good job at it. But they tell you that there's, sti there's still dangers in that process of even filtering salt water because of the chemical makeup that they're finding in, in, in salt water that they have to deal with. So um, I'm just telling you in my research and what I've seen, and, and nobody from their community, you know, the, that's the thing. You know, when, when, when their scientists come back and say it's completely safe, but yet you have, another, you have another group of scientists from an independent lab that have no skin in the game, it's not safe. It kind of makes you scratch your head because, you know, I, I think when you have a process, when you're dealing, um, when you're dealing with analysis, I think all industries, regardless of the industry, shouldn't have their analysis be done in their labs. It, it should all be done through an independent lab that has no skin in the game whatsoever. I know, I know quite a few scientists out there, chemists. I, I know them well. Uh, microbiologists, and it thrills them to no end because it's part of what they love doing to research something like that and just give you the facts, no matter which way it comes down, whether it comes down in the good or the bad, they just like the research end of it, and they just tell you like it is. And that's what we need to do when we're dealing with oil and gas or any other type of industry, or even like this COVID-19 deal. You get scientists on one, one side saying one thing, you get science on the other side saying something else. Um, and, and, and that's what big business does, and that's sadly to say what our government does. They like to use science against you, but when, you're, when you come up with science that contradicts what they have to say, then they either shout you down or they create legislation to shut you up. Right. Well, we're or, seeing that. We're certainly seeing that with COVID, where uh, unless you go with their pre-approved list of experts, so-called, everything else is disregarded. But, uh, and you know, maybe on another occasion... We, we can talk about COVID-19, but uh, I just want to yeah. drill down, no, no pun intended, on, yeah, uh, again, going back to the, um, the water issue. So uh, let's assume, let's just take them at their word for, for the sake of the argument that they are recycling for their purposes, say 70 to 100% of the water. I guess the point then, though, would be, in fairness, at least they're not drawing... Uh, on fresh water supplies if they're recycling, number one. And number two, if they're recycling it, they wouldn't have to engage in, in this wastewater disposal if they're reusing the same water again and again. Is that fair? No, that, that, that is fair. So the question I have for this, from somebody who's here in the middle of all this fracking going on, I have not yet seen them, other than a few places where they have uh, a couple of the containment ponds that they have fresh water in. I can, I, in my endeavors, I spend a lot of time driving in back roads, looking uh, for for various. Uh, I look for various things that the industry is doing, like running lines from 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 strip ponds, from creeks and streams. I see them pumping this water, and this water ends up going to a particular drill pad or to a particular location so they can pump this out. Again, I, I, would, have to, I, I would have to call uh, false on them if they're saying 70% that they're using uh, as far as recycle. I, I have to call falsehood on that because okay. if that's the case, they wouldn't have to lay all these lines that they're doing. And 
I mean, I physically have seen those lines okay. running along the roads and into the ponds across acres of fields. So I, I have to call a false on that. And, and the other thing is, you know, like the state of Ohio, the state of Ohio, um, like if they're if they're pulling out of a main freshwater stream or out of the river, it's metered, okay. Um, but it's on the honor system. So in other words, I am Ed Hash or I'm Ed's um, Ed Hashbarger's oil and gas company, and I need to draw water out of the Ohio River. I go down and I put my meter up. And I draw all the water I want. And it's up to me to report to the state how much water I'm actually using. Not the state comes in and monitors that, that, that uh, um, meter. It's up to the oil and gas. And that's the same way at a drill head. You know, and, and I'll just throw this bit out there. I know it's a little bit off topic from the water port here. But the same thing on a, on a wellhead uh, here in, in the state of Ohio. It's on the honor system. So whatever the oil and gas industry is pulling up out of the ground, they report to the state on how much they've actually pulled up. So they can report to the state that they pulled up a billion cubic feet of natural gas. When actually they pulled up 8 billion cubic feet of natural gas. And the state of Ohio is perfectly fine with that. Why? Because they've come in years ahead of this, knowing what they're going to do. This is why there's a lot of conspiracy stuff here involved. They come in into an area years ahead of time. They lobby the politicians, get legislation put in their favor that goes against the landowner, that goes against the citizen of that state. They get it in favor of oil and gas. And then from that point on, everything lies in the favor of big business and nothing for the small man or the citizen. So uh, and again, like when I to- told you who I was, I mean, you can look and see how I vote. I- I'm, a- I'm a staunch conservative. I've, I've worked on Trump's campaign uh, during his election. I've worked on, on Bush's campaign, uh, John McCain's campaign. Um, so I'm not some person who's anti, uh, you know, anti-big business. That's not the case. Big business comes in and they pull a ruse over the people by uh, lobbying our legislators to change laws on the books or get laws in, uh, put into place that go in their favor and it's against the citizens of the state or the landowner of the state. Okay. But let me just jump back to the water real quick. I want to yeah. just I just want to so everybody understands this on the water issue. If you look at a person, an average person, if he drinks one gallon of water a day and he lives to be 80 years old or she, they consume 29,200 gallons of water in their lifetime. 29,200 gallons of water. That's what they consume. Okay, and I'm not talking about bathing in or washing your car or doing any of that stuff. Could you imagine how many people in this world where there's, where there's water shortages all over this planet, how many people you could keep alive or service with the amount of, in, of, of just say five million gallons of water. We'll take the middle ground between two and ten that takes five million to frack each well. Now that water is no longer any good for the cycle of life. Could you imagine the number of people you can help out or be there for in these third world countries where they have no drinking water or the drinking water is so bad that these people are deathly ill? It, that, that just amazes me. More of my conversation with Ed Hashbarger when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Sports. One tablespoon of ESS60 from C60 Evo helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS60 back in November. ESS60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS60 is a mega antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS60 suspended in olive oil was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm gonna live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized, and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for c60evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Ed Hashbarger is here, and we're talking about the environmental impact of fracking. I want to ask you about earthquakes, because you mentioned Youngstown. I had some tremors yes. in Youngstown, Ohio. And I'm wondering whether the earthquakes uh, is coming from the fracking itself uh, as opposed to the wastewater disposal, because I was reading where uh, the U.S. Geological Survey uh, they told NPR, National Public Radio, that there's there's probably not enough energy. Um, fracking itself doesn't put enough energy into the ground to trigger an earthquake, but it's it could be the actual disposal of the wastewater that's causing the tremors. Do you have th- your thoughts on that? Okay, I, I have two theories on that, and it's just from... Uh, um I have two theories on that. It's based on, uh, on some of the research I've been doing... Um, regarding the injection wells and the earthquakes and the fracking and earthquakes. Like anything out there, when you make something weak, even like the foundation of your house, if I go out to the side of your house and take a sledgehammer and hit the block on your house and fracture it and cause fractures, that part of your house is going to be weak. For the rest of the time, any, any event that comes up can cause that area that I just got done cracking and fracturing out can cause that weakness to collapse on itself. Can we agree on that? It seems sensible, yes. Okay. And, and I'm trying to keep this as simple as I can for people to understand it, because that's how I understand things, simple. So the same process happens in fracking when they're deep down in the earth, and they, they fracture like that. They fracture that shell. It causes weakness in that shell. Now, I'm not saying... It causes the earthquake, but when you have fault lines that come up to those points, okay, and you have fault lines that come up there, and you've made that rock there that that is keeping pressure on that fault line, when you make that rock fracture out and become weak, you create a weak point, a snapping point that can lead to an earthquake in that location. Now, as far as injection wells, the same process occurs. And I'm going, to, I'm going to use an example as far as if you take a, a rock and you put it, if I take a block and I put it on top of another block, okay, there may be some play in it, but for the most part it's going to grip each other because the, the, the sediment on both ends of that, on that block are going to kind of grab each other like sandpaper, okay? But if I take those two blocks and I lay a sheet across there, of, say, um, clay, and that clay is very watered down now, and that clay has become slick, and I try to put that block on there. Any bump or movement is going to slide that top block 
one way or another. Can we agree on that? Again, that seems very sensible, yes. Very sensible. I'm trying to just keep it simple. That's the same thing when you're injecting in these areas. We've got to look at something. The Appalachians itself, if you know anything about geology, and you can go on and you can read about it. It's where two plates have come together and forced the peak up, okay? So it rises. So that's how you get mountain ridges, okay? So that tells me right there, right from the beginning, that there is some type of fault that runs there. And research has shown it. Are you familiar with Dutchanese at all? No. Okay. He, he's a gentleman that gets on. He's kind of a lay guy, but this guy here is a, a, a savant, I guess you want to say, when it comes to earthquakes. If you get a chance, you need to Google him and check him out. Um, he's right on the money. Uh, I'm planning on contacting him regarding my theories on fracking with him in earthquakes because he's mentioned it a few times. But anyways... You can go on and look at the various maps where all the fault lines are. And in the Ohio Valley, it's got a lot of fault lines. All the way up into New Hampshire, there's fault lines. Out west in Oklahoma, of course, we know that. The, um, down in, uh, in Missouri, uh, up, up into, well, actually down there from down in Mississippi, all, all the way up into the Great Lakes, there's another fault line inside of there, obviously out in California. And they drill down in, and the thing is, is, these fault lines, when you're drilling down in and then you're adding that slick, because um, you've got drilling mud inside of there, you've got those chemicals, you've got that water, and what it's doing is it's making things slick so when the, when the gas is extracted, there's less friction to come up through the pipe and through the rock to come back up so they can extract it when it comes up. That same thing happens when it gets down into those fault lines. It creates kind of like a slick between two rocks. So then when earthquakes occur, and I don't know the whole science on exactly how earthquakes occur, but when they start occurring and there is that residual vibration that goes on out from the center of the earth and works its way out and different fault lines get accept, uh, uh, hit by this, it causes that movement within the rock. And I do believe there's two problems with fracking, and that is the injection wells and the fracking process, and I do believe they help facilitate earthquakes in those areas by creating weaknesses or opportunities for these, for these rock, uh, rocks to slide on themselves or these uh, um, fault lines to move back and forth on themselves. Okay. I want to talk now. I want to move to the potential for contaminating the water aquifer. The, the, you okay. know, the potable water that's just below the surface that we all rely upon. And uh, to get your thoughts on that, but also to offer up the, um, I guess, again, the, the, the industry's narrative on this. And that is that between the, the water aquifer and the actual shale where the, the drilling is taking place, uh, there is, uh, so you go down 7,000 feet, these vertical uh, shafts, uh, into the shale, but between the shale and the aquifer is, uh, you know, thousands of miles of solid uh, bedrock that's separating the shale from the aquifer. But and then also the vertical well uh, that is drilled down is lined by uh, something like three or four layers of concrete and steel to prevent, uh, you know, leakage into the, the the water aquifer. So that's the industry's narrative of how uh, water contamination could be avoided. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, Ohio has probably one of the best um, uh, requirements for encasing a well than probably any other state. Because um, what you had just said and what they had talked about when they were using concrete and, and steel to reinforce the, the drill pad area and going down in. But we have to also remember that anything that man makes is weak and it doesn't last forever. Okay. So there is some opportunities uh, for just like anything, you know, any type of crack. If you put a crack on anything, water finds its weakest point and it'll get through it. But most of the water contamination that takes place in creeks and streams and in people's wells is because of surface contamination or sloppy work of the people on the surface. That's where most of the water contamination takes place. I would say probably every bit, probably 80% of the water contamination occurs somewhere within the first 
a couple hundred feet into the ground to the surface. Um, And it's because of um, negligence or um, uh, using inferior products or being in a hurry and not doing it correctly. Um, You do get a lot of water contaminations near there. Or as they're drilling down in, as they're drilling down in, they may hit a aquifer or they may hit a vein. And one of the drillers, I, I did talk to a gentleman uh, here uh, where I live. He specializes in drilling people's water wells. And he explained to me the best way he could describe it is water, water moves through rock, okay, at a very slow pace, but it moves through rock. And it's kind of like the capillaries in your arm or your leg, okay? And what happens is is when they drill down, they're drilling for a couple things. They're either drilling for a pocket of water or they're drilling down to hopefully hit through several of those capillaries, and then they'll drill down and create a pocket, you know, a a, a deeper hole to allow that water as it's coming coming in, filling that up, and then they put your well pump down inside here to pump your fresh water up out of there. Well, in the drilling process, again, we go back to fracturing and fracking. You know, they can't tell you exactly how far the fractured rock goes out. And yes, they're 7,000 feet deep, but we're talking about in areas where you're dealing with um, faults or you're dealing with um, fractures within the rock, natural occurring fractures. And I was reading, I can't remember uh, what article I read it in, Natural Geographic or something like that. And they were talking about the date. They have found out that you can run into natural fractures that are in the earth, especially in areas where there is fault, fault zones at. You can run into areas where those fractures run miles deep from the surface, okay, miles deep. Now, with that being said, if you're in a particular area where you have those and you may not see them because they're maybe just below the surface, and they fracture, they, they're down there fracturing, and they're pumping all those millions of gallons of water, and that fracture makes its way into one of these cracks or fractures that's in the earth, it can make its way all the way up to the groundwater, contaminating lakes, streams, your drinking water. Um, I was just read. Uh, I had an article here not too long back on water contamination that took place in uh, Dimrock, PA, where the wells of that community were contaminated because of the drilling operation that took place there. That was the Chesapeake Quite, Energy it, Corporation, I think. Uh, Chesapeake. Yeah. So you're familiar. So that, that's what I'm saying. There's the, the uh, what I want to accomplish, I guess, in all of this is for the industry itself, in our politicians, to just to be honest, you know. If you come up and tell me that during our whole process, we have a, we, there's a chance that we could have some water contamination. There is a chance we could have some air contamination. But, Mr. Hashbarger, this is what we're going to do about it. As soon as it comes about, we're going to be on it. We're going to have a crew out there. We're going to isolate that situation. We're going to look at the environment situation, what we need to do. We're going to call the EPA in. We're going to do this, this, and this. And then when it happens and they do it, you're going to have people like me that's going to applaud them and give them all the credit in the world because I knew ahead of time that this stuff could happen, but I could actually see their response to this. And nobody's hiding something or, or you know, uh, covering something up. Well, that's important. Thing- that's important because uh, you – so in other words, it sounds like you're saying I – mean, you know, you mentioned you're a conservative, you're a Republican. You're not opposed to – the extraction and exploitation of the Earth's natural resources. Uh, you no. might you might even be okay with 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 uh, the extraction of natural gas from shale, as long as we can as long as we can take steps to remediate uh, or mitigate any environmental uh, risks. I, 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 exactly. I, I, and I tell them this when I've met with people from oil and gas and stuff. Look, it's not that I'm against you guys in any way. What I'm against is, is you're, you're, how do I don't want to put this? I, I'm against your, uh, def, 
deceiving ways that you do this. You come in and you lie to a community and talk about how great it is, you, and, and then on the other end, and telling people how they're going to benefit, and then when none of those people start seeing that benefit, and all they start seeing is the environmental issues they're dealing with and the health issues they're dealing with and all these other things, then you try to cover all those things up by lobbying our politicians to create legislation that backs you guys up on this or exempt you from lawsuits or exempt you from environmental issues. Now I have a problem. If you come in and you want to do business fairly in a place, you know, as a farmer, and I'm going to give an example. I've got a lot of farmers that live around me. And if, if a farmer here gets his tractor stuck in a creek and it leaks diesel fuel into that creek, you're going to see the EPA here, you're going to see the Sheriff's Department here, and they're going to have him strung to the fence. ODNR is going to be here. He'll be fined. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But if oil and gas has a leak, many times they don't even get fined. They just get told, you need to be careful or make sure you get this cleaned up. Right. You had an, a recent incident. You had a, you have a, a fracking operation, I believe, behind you and in front of you. You have you have a small farm there in Jefferson County. What happened? Yeah. What happened to you? Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I would say about a mile uh, to the southeast of me and a mile to the northwest of me. I'm between two different drill pads. So eventually I'm going to get uh, they're going to come to me and they're going to want to drill underneath my land. And that's a whole different topic there. I'll cover that later. But um, what happened was uh, here a, a few weeks back, my son had come in to visit and uh, from Columbus. And he was here. And, and uh, as we were standing in the garage, we, we both smelled something. It smelled like rotten eggs. We couldn't figure out what it was. And this is the first time that this particular incident happened to me. I mean, uh, we've had other things with noise and you've heard rumbling and things like that, but we had that smell. So we couldn't figure out what's going on. So I step out my garage to look and up in the valley towards the one that's in the Northwest direction, they were currently fracking that pad and they were drilling and doing the fracturing and all that stuff going on there at that pad. Well, the next thing I know, all of a sudden, all the birds, all the insects got quiet. You didn't hear anything. And then there was this yellowish, greenish, yellowish, mustard-color-like cloud that was coming down through that valley. And as it came down through, it kind of just the, the egg smell got worse, but it did, wasn't overwhelming. It kind of passed right on down through. Now, luckily, we were in the open, so I called ODNR. ODNR sent a crew out, and they believed it was a, a pocket of H2S gas that, that, that burped up either through an old mine shaft or an old uh, drill hole, or an old well hole that, that was used for oil and gas years and years and years ago. Hydrogen sulfide. Or it came from that pad. Hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide. Now, if you know anything about H2S gas, it's very deadly. That's one of the gases that they encounter when they're drilling. Uh, I've pulled drill permits uh, at various places. I pull them, but I've, I've requested them, got them in, and I've looked where certain drill pads have to keep uh, a certain uh, amount of water and chemicals there to squelch the X2F gas if, if the pad burps or if they get a burping of it anywhere. Um, with H2S gas, it, it'll kill you instantly. Um, and if you're in the open, that's like they said, fortunately we're in the open and it moved through rather quickly because usually if it, 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 you, you don't smell H2S gas if you're overwhelmed with it, because if it comes in heavy, you're done, you, you, you die. Um, and usually the residual, the, the, the watered down version of it, you can smell as, as rotten eggs. All but, right. Uh, so you got away. You were lucky. Um, we were lucky. They, they did come out, they investigated and they're still investigating that end of it. Um, we have felt tremors, uh, I've seen that with my animals, you know, because I do have some chickens and stuff. And, and when they start scattering or running or you see deer just running through the woods for no particular reason, uh, then you see things move a little bit. We get tremors. And, and when you call, that's the funny thing. When you call, 
nobody, nobody um, will tell you yes or no that you, you had an earthquake or 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 they they've registered something. Even if it was one point zero or or zero point whatever, they won't tell you anything. I want to touch very quickly on mineral mineral rights because uh, you mentioned that you have this uh, this farm. I think uh, you said a little less than forty acres, and so yeah. if you've got a fracking operation that's uh, let's say a, a drill pad uh, in behind your property a mile away, and they're drilling down vertically seven thousand feet and then out, maybe yeah. what out maybe a couple of miles as the crow flies. They, yeah, they usually go about two miles. So and that's so, as the crow flies. So that's underneath your your property. Don't you have mineral rights underneath your? Yes, I I, I own my mineral rights. I have not leased the oil and gas industry. Um, I'm one of the last. Uh, holdouts when it comes to gas leasing because the type of lease I want, you know, I, I do not want any surface activities. I want a, uh, accountability for any accidents that occur or that transpire. But uh, Ohio, and it's kind of a unique thing, what Ohio did, and step back, let me step back one step here. Before the oil and gas industry came into our area, um, they'd been around for, for years, all the way back to the 60s, and there was a law in the book called pooling, and it was to benefit back then small operations that were doing some, some just some uh, vertical drilling uh, in like a subdivision. You see those small little uh, pump wells. It's got the head on the front, and they're, they're pumping back and forth. You sure. see a lot of Mount yeah. West. You see them here in the state of Ohio. So what they did is back in the 60s, Ohio, along with the oil and gas industry, created a law that they were able to consolidate several of those little pumping operations under one name. They've taken that law since then and, and used that law to acquire people's mineral rights. And then in 2000, they've really modified those laws on pooling and utilization to strip landowners in the state of Ohio of their, of their, of their property. And what I mean by that is if I refuse completely to, to sign a lease agreement with oil and gas, if I refuse to do it, they can go because of what the oil and gas companies have done along with our legislative body. They've created laws, which is called pooling and unitization. They can now forcibly take my minerals from me, okay, and how they do it, they don't even have to do it in a court of law, okay? They... The, the state of Ohio created what's called the TAC Committee, which is the Technical Advisory Council on Oil and Gas. This committee, the oil and gas co uh, company comes in front of this committee and says, look, we tried to get Mr. Hashbarger to lease with us, and he refuses to do it. So therefore, we want all of his minerals under his property, and that way it's going to benefit not just us, but it's going to benefit all the neighbors because they have all leased, and he's holding out, and it's not fair to everybody else if his minerals aren't thrown in the bunch with ours. That TAC committee is appointed by the governor of the state of Ohio. And the members on that committee who are going to determine now whether you get to keep your mineral rights, there's three people that are members of the oil and gas community, producers, that are in the state of Ohio. Then there's three members on that committee that are from the oil and gas production outside of the state of Ohio. Then there's a member on that committee on there that represents Ohio. Then there's one person on that committee that represents public interest. And then there's one person on that committee that represents royalty interest. And those people are going to get to determine whether you get to keep your mineral rights or not. To me, it's a blatant violation of my constitutional freedoms because I have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I can't pursue my happiness if people are coming in and taking my stuff without my, my permission. Now, what they do then is they force you into a legal binding contract with oil and gas. They become your contract writer, so you don't have an attorney representing you. The state represents you, and they represent your mineral ownership, and they tell you what you're going to get and what you'll receive and what you'll take, and you have no say-so in it. So are they drilling under your property? No, they're not drilling underneath my property because I've fought them off to this point so far. So now it's to the point. And the funny thing is, is the, uh, the people that took over Chesapeake 
is Asino, and Asino is owned by the Canadian Public Retirement System, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So they kind of own that. Now, I've been in contact with Asino and, 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 and spoke to them regarding my mineral rights and all that stuff and told them that I am interested in leasing with them, but we have to have we have to have a conversation and it has to be on my terms and not, you know, their terms. Right. So that in other words, it's now owned by the this is the pension fund that's managed on behalf of Canada's retired public service employees. If, if, I, if, if I remember my facts, yes, right. that is the case. Okay, so yes. you just have a few minutes left here, but I just want to speak kind of in broad strokes. You mentioned uh, President Trump, and yes. uh, he's, you know, one of the, the planks in his, his platform in 2016 was energy independence, which the United States has achieved. Uh, yes. And obviously integral to that is the fracking industry because, you know, they, they refer to the Marcellus Shale area as kind of a Saudi Arabia. There's so much natural gas there. Uh, and we're That's talking, we're talking something like 500, almost 500 trillion cubic feet, I think I read, of natural gas. Uh, and obviously we know that's pumping tens of billions of dollars into the economy. It is creating jobs. Energy independence is important uh, in terms of national security and so forth. How do we weigh these two? What do we do about it? Well, you know, the, the, the thing is, is, when they talk about energy independence, okay, and I, I have not a problem with that, but again, it's one of these things that they throw up, you know, and I hear a couple talk show hosts on, on well, when I used to watch news. I stopped watching uh, national news about three, four months ago. Um, but when I was watching it on there, they talked about energy independence, energy independence, and gas prices are down at the fuel pump. When we're talking about fracking here, we're talking about natural gas. We're not talking about oil. When they get oil, when they're drilling down, that's kind of like the gravy on the potatoes or icing on the cake. Okay, that's a little bit of an extra thing they get here. That is not going to affect the gas prices at the pump. I'm going to tell you that right now. And I don't care what anybody says. I'll have that argument with anybody. Because I live right here in the middle of all of this. And when we were fracking at its highest, gas prices were still high. It didn't drop them down to some cheap rate. Okay? The thing is, is what they're after here, going back to the, the thing with the natural gases, they're after the methane, the propanes, the butanes, the pentanes, and you're going to notice it's more lucrative in the fracking industry when wintertime rolls around. Who's one of the biggest customers outside of European countries for the natural gas? Canada. Canada uses a lot of natural gas to heat their homes during the winter months. I mean, I'm sure you know this, uh, Richard, from living up there in Canada. It is cold up there. Uh, but a lot, of the, a lot of the natural gas that's extracted here in the States ends up going overseas, whether it's going to Europe or it's going to um, up there to Canada, but it gets shipped out all over the world. And now, you know, a, a lot of this natural gas is used predominantly in, in defense uh, programs. It's used in making plastics. It's used in making a lot of the stuff that we deal with in our homes. So there, it, it's a lucrative business, but I wish they would quit I wish they would quit tying it in to energy independence. I don't know about Canada, but I don't know very many cars that are running around here on natural gas. Okay, a lot of us still go to the fuel pump and pump, you know, uh, gasoline into our tanks. We're not hooking up uh, to a propane station and pumping propane in. So in other words, you could take fracking, you're saying, because it's used for other things, it's used to export natural gas, it's used in these cracker plants to make to make plastics. It's yes. it's you could take fracking out of the energy equation and the United States would still be energy independent. I think it'd still be energy independent and I'll tell you why. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, fracking is used to extract oil, okay? But the the fracking when they're talking about fracking as a, as a whole, like up here in Ohio, I mean, there is places they do get oil, but predominantly they're after the natural gases. That's what they're after because the natural gases are using so many other things, way more than, than gas is being used. Uh, you know, yes, it's a convenience.
convenience for us with gas in our vehicles. Here, a perfect example. Perfect example. We're running around, what is it, I mean, I don't know what it is in Canada, but in my area right now, it's $2.19 for a gallon of gas, okay? And predominantly, we're getting a lot of, uh, 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 right now, the, the price of the per barrel of oil is, is down. I can't remember exactly what it is right now. But if you go over to Europe or if you go over into the Middle East countries where that oil is produced and they have refineries there just like we have refineries, why are they paying $10 a gallon for gas or $8 a gallon? If we're, we're producing oil here but not in the fracking area that they're, that they're saying we're doing it. There's two different factions going on here. And I get tired of them using the argument regarding fracking as making us energy independent because the part that's dealing with the gas that's going in our cars is not the part that they're trying to roll in to the fracking. I don't know if I'm making sense on you this are, or not. You are, except, I mean, you do use natural gas in the United States to generate electrical power, right? Yes, we use it for, for electrical power. And, and, and that's the other funny thing in all of this. You know, um, let me step back. Uh, I want to cover one other thing before we get off here, which is very important, and it has to go back to the earthquakes. But anyways, the, the natural gas that they are producing for, for the uh, power plants and stuff, um, it, it's kind of ironic in, in, in this whole thing because they're shutting down power plants here in the state of Ohio. Okay, now some of them are converting over to natural gas, and yes, they're running the natural gas through those, uh, those, those plants. But, but again, the, what bothers me is when they say we're energy independent because we're fracking, to me is a complete lie because what they're trying to play on people's minds is that you wouldn't be paying $2.19 a gallon if we weren't fracking, and that's a bold-faced lie. That's, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yes, we are energy independent if we're using the natural gas to power our power plants. Yes, we're energy independent that way. We were also energy independent then, too, when we were using coal. True, yeah. But, but right now, right now, because the powers to be, the money is in behind natural gas, and it's, it's putting a hurt right now in the coal industry, okay? I, you know, I, especially in West Virginia, there's way more people that are working in the coal mines in West Virginia than there is in, nat in natural gas. Because once a, once a pad is fracked, okay, once they come in, mo most of the people you see working at a pad is during the actual fracking process. Once they frack that well and that well is now producing and they take down their, their drill pad, there's nobody there. you got a guy that shows up there maybe once a month just to check on things. Hmm. There, there's nobody else there. It's just a complete it, – there's no overhead. I mean, as far as labor, there's nothing. Right. Whereas in a coal mine, you still got people down there working in those mine shafts or running the heavy equipment. When it comes to fracking, that's it. You got somebody in an office in Oklahoma or in Texas that's running all the numbers from what's being produced at all those pads that nobody's at. Ed, how can people uh, learn more about you and your research in fracking? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with the folks out there. You know, what I do, I, I, I do for free. I, I don't charge anything. I, I don't uh, look to be reimbursed to go on shows or, or anything like that. I do not have a website. I used to have a Facebook page, but kind of done away with it. Um, I just, uh, you know, if, if people want to find out more, they need to get in contact with people like yourself and, and invite me back, and I'd be more than happy to come on and talk on your show. Uh, that, that's how I do it. I, I, for me, I, I enjoy doing the research, and when I get the stuff in, I just like to give it away to people. No charge, no fee. I just like to put it out there and let people run it through their minds. Thank you, Ed. I thank you for your time. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back on the other side to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. 
Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Coming up next time, UFO and paranormal researcher Mary Joyce will be here to discuss reports of tall blue men rescuing U.S. soldiers and reptilian E.T.'s dire plan for humanity. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>